that border terrier is so ugly and yours is actually beautiful so i'm really happy that there's glamour on this walk um all people listening are border terriers my book is still a really great read <laughs> this week on walking the dog i took ray out to meet radio host journalist and newsnight presenter emma barnett full disclosure alert i've admired emma from afar for a long time mainly because she's an incisive, forensic and rigorous interviewer, but also a tiny bit because she's got massively strong hair game. There's just one problem with the fabulous Emma. She doesn't like dogs. I mean, really doesn't like them. Did I bring her over to the dog site? Well, you'll just have to find out by listening to our walk, which took place in Regent's Park recently. I actually think you'll adore Emma. She's bright and thoughtful. She's also a real laugh. And we chatted to her a lot about her new book called Periods, It's About Bloody Time, which I found kind of life-changing and really important. And I think you should buy it for a woman or man that you love. In fact, just buy it for anyone. It's brilliant. I'll get it for my dog even. I'm off now to leave you to listen to this. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Emma. coming right now let me turn this off you see this is the thing with emma barnett always on that phone off now are you always on the phone have we started well i'm not very professional is there, is there a klaxon like i don't so answer the question minister <laughs> is it there we should go to the park yes yeah. there is a, an entrance is there a square here i don't know if it's one of those private squares i, I feel like I feel like on a dog walk we need a park, <laughs> not just a square, not a, a sort of private enclave. Oh, you're a better dog owner than me. I am. You're not even a dog well, owner. I'm in that really awkward position where you, you know that I don't love dogs. I know. And I'm now trying to do that really British thing of overcompensating to seem like I've not said that publicly. But I, what I actually, to clarify, mean yeah. is I don't really like terrible dog owners. Okay. Because I wouldn't... I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let my baby come and lick your face without your permission or I touch your food. Yeah. But really annoying, bad dog people who think you should just love their dog in your space without permission, that's really what yes. I'm talking about. I think it's also... That, you see, this is the thing about Emma Barnett. I haven't <laughs> even started on... We're already in the throes of a really interesting day. <laughs> and I haven't in, even introduced her. I'm with the very wonderful Emma Barnett, journalist, broadcaster, author. I know. Because I, I'm going to talk to you about this, but I've just read your book called Period. Is it, it's about bloody time? Yeah, that's the strap line. And uh, it kept me up all night, <laughs> as did my period. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about that. But I am, um, welcome to Walking the Dog, by the way. Thank you very much. Hi, Raymond. You that was trying? your name, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're trying, but I'm not. I, Raymond's got I a very good barnet, and with I my know. name and my hair being what it is, thick and furry. I think Raymond's hair is a bit like. Do you remember in Dynasty? You're probably too young for this, but there was no, a character no. called Jeff Colby. I know exactly what you were talking he about. He looks like the hero. He's got like that sort of. But also in um, in Star Wars. <laughs> he, he well, he's um. He looks like an Ewok. Yeah. And that's who George Lucas based them on. Was Ewok, um, was uh, Shitsu. Today I'm learning an awful lot. (laughs) 
so yeah, you were talking about dogs that when people foist their yeah, dogs that's, upon that's you. that's the problem. And I would agree with that, which I think is manners, because I think you have to operate under the assumption that no one likes dogs, and then you'll be all right as a dog owner. I think the better entrance... Actually, no, we can do this. We can do this. Yeah, to the park. Do you know what? Even though I knew this was the better entrance... Yes. I was immediately going to just do what you said. Really? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, don't apologise, but I've realised already immediately you're the girl at school that I would have thought, oh, I'm just going to, I like her, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, but I also would have corrupted you if you were good, so don't worry about it. We oh, still, I wasn't. We still would have done well, but just about kind of thing. Were you? So I want to know about you growing up. Did you have dogs? You, you grew no. up in Manchester, No dogs. Uh, we had a parakeet. We had things you could keep in cages because my mother also doesn't like pets. She's not a dog person. Slash anything that's wandering, wandering around, sniffing its own arse, licking its own arse, <laughs> making a smell, molting and interfering with curtains or other things you have to keep clean. Yes. But you, you know, you tolerate men and that's fine. <laughs> I don't think of men like that. <laughs> not the ones I live with. Uh, and I live with two boys now, a little one. Oh, yeah. And a big one. So tell me, so you had, you didn't have dogs or no, cats or anything no. like that. And what, and did you ever think, you had the parakeet though, that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm an only child, so I probably should have wanted some kind of pet, but no, I was fine. The parakeet was distinctly 80s looking, with the hairdo. Um, it was named Michelle after my mum, which she wasn't best pleased about, because they had the same hairdo. Yeah. Um, and before that, before that we had the very innovatively named... Uh, Birdie Barnett and Lady Barnett, who were two budgeries, guys. And then when they died, we had Birdie Barnett 2 and Lady Barnett 2. <laughs> so then the parakeet came and lasted quite a long time. Oh, so you were more of an Avery than a Kennels family. Yeah, that's, that's never been said to me before, but yes. <laughs> and what, oh, we're passing a group of school children. We are. Hello. Ray plays very well with the Oh, my gosh. That girl was wearing a jumper that said, I'm a cat, but I thought Hello. it said... I thought she said. Oh, don't worry. I thought she said I'm a twat. What does it say? I'm a cat. I'm a cat. Never mind. Are you gonna go Maybe on? you should get her on your podcast. She's better suited to this. Look, no dogs except guide dogs. No, that's not true. Oh, off the lead, it must mean. Hang on, Emma. This is strange. This is my kind of park. <laughs> but it's not no dogs in this park. I've been in this Do you know what I think it is? Is this part of it is has got art. Oh. It's got well, some kind of freeze then, shall we? art fair. Well, or you could probably walk through and then shall get to the Shall we go through? We can, I can carry I bet that's we walk the problem. Through. But this is my it's, kind of park. No dogs. I'm going to check. And look, it says no ball games. There are two men clearly. Oh, no, they're sweeping. Okay. They're gardeners. I call them sweeping. Um, it's interesting, that only child thing, isn't it? Because people talk about it a lot. Did you know, did people refer to it when you, you know, say, oh, are you an only child? Did you ever feel other because of that? There's a, there's a moment, I think, when you say to somebody, they say, oh, you know, have you got a sister, have you got a brother? And you say, no, no, just me. And they go, oh, you all right? You all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm great, thanks. <laughs> like, I can't mourn for what I didn't have, you know. Um, there's a real worry that you are okay. Uh, and I was okay. I mean, I do think there are downsides, definitely. Yeah, what, um, what do you think those are? I've highlighted them to mainly be, or mm. I alienated them, isolated them to be, yeah. over the years. One, obviously if your your parents are unwell in any way or, or, or 
my mum, for instance, has Crohn's disease and, and doesn't mm. feel great. There's just you to yeah. shoulder that, especially obviously when they get older. Um, I also think I'm much more of a fan of one-to-one conversations. I'm not as good in a group as some people because I'm used to living in a quiet house, yeah. a relatively quiet house. There's not lots of mayhem when you're growing up as an only child. Yeah. You eat with the adults from an early age. Uh, so that's a bonus, I think. You're, you actually are a bit more mature, perhaps, and into adult conversation a bit earlier. Yeah. But I don't do very well at that sort of table where everyone's shouting over each other and no one's really listening properly. And I think that's why I love radio and, and ultimately podcasts, because it's that one-to-one connection. Yeah. And it goes into people's ears and you know that they're really listening because yeah. it's very focused and personal. So it's definitely a downside that I remember when I got to university, I was so overwhelmed. I mean, I was an outgoing person, but I was suddenly living on this corridor, you know, with 12 people and everyone's screaming at each other in halls. And I was like, hang on. fascinating? You know, and then I lived in an eight and it was never quiet, obviously. So that's definitely a downside. I think that's really interesting, actually. I'd never thought of that. And I suppose someone once said to me who was an only child that they found conflict resolution with friends and things a bit harder because they hadn't had that experience of they hadn't been forced to sort of do that on a daily basis to sort of argue and fall out passionately and swear and scream at each other and then say I mean not with adults it's a different dynamic with adults but with a contemporary Mm. another child to be able to say okay we're friends again now I suppose but so I don't know if that's something you find or are you good at conflict resolution I think I now you've said that I think I can see what they mean and I think I'm okay at it but I think that's because my mum was an only child so me and her we're not like siblings we're not we're not those terrible mother and daughters oh she's my best friend I hate that she's your mum right and that's just how it is um (laughs) Anyway, but I do think, because we both get things off our chest, we'd rage and then we'd make up very quick. Yeah. So I think I almost had that experience through her. And my husband, who, you know, first coming to meet the family, uh, Manchester family, and he's from London, so Northerners, I mean, his socks were blown off by how brutal we could be to each other and then be fine five minutes later. So funnily enough, in my case, I'm not sure it was quite the same. I'm going to let Ray... I don't know if I'm allowed, but if someone tells me off... Well, we could do... Oh, and there's another dog there, Emma. I think it's fine. Come on, Ray. You're just being a bad dog owner, right? Do you think so? What? Well, it looks empty. As soon as other people... Do you think he's all right? Look at him. He looks like a rabbit anyway. Yeah. Come on, Raymond. Come on, Raymond. Stay away from me. Come on the... (laughs) Emma. We're going to change your... You know what's going to be tricky? You say this. Yeah. Am I going to hold the lead? No. But your son... I've never done that before. Your son is going to meet... What this dog one day, ah. and that's going to be tricky because all children are obsessed by my dog. Are they? Yes, because look at him. He looks like something like a Jim Henson film. He is really cute, but I still don't want to live with him. I feel that about a lot of people. I mean, <laughs> I feel that about David Beckham. He's really cute. I don't really want to live with him. Yeah, I might feel insecure. Come on, come on, Raymond. And he does, look how he walks. He's so slow. He doesn't bark. No, he doesn't shed. If you're going to have a dog... He doesn't look like he'll turn on you, no. Turn on you? Look at him. Well, you never know what's going <laughs> on in their heads. That's the other thing. 
Yeah, but you don't know what's going on in human beings' heads. Yeah, but we're equally matched most of the time. Are we? And he hasn't learned, and he's not capable of any dark arts trying to conceal his motives. How old is he? He's, um, oh, look, he know, he's, he's being, he's three in December. Oh, so he's quite young? Yeah, he's okay. two and a half. Right, he's a toddler. Yeah, he's okay. a young child. Oh, look, there's a, that's a border terrier. He's like a 1940s dog. I'm quite happy because that border terrier is so ugly and yours is actually beautiful. So I'm really happy that there's glamour on this walk. Look at that dog, it's rank. Obviously, to all people listening. Can we use that as the trailer? (laughs) Um, All people listening are border terriers. My book is still a really great read. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, that's interesting about, um, because I had that, I became an only child later and unexpectedly in life because I lost my sister. And what I would say to you and any other only children is that in a way, you know, that thing about, oh, you'll have to care for your parents. You know, we all know things, life's what happens when you're making other plans or whatever. I lost my sister and so I've had to learn how to be an only child. That's interesting. And when people ask me, I think, well, it's just me. And then I think, oh, do I say, but it wasn't always just me. Well, I, think, I mean, on a serious note, a lot of people I've interviewed who have lost people, um, let's say they've lost a child, mm. and there's a woman I interviewed recently, and I said, how many children do you have? And she said, five. And only later did it transpire, four are living. But she always answered five, because she has. Yeah. She gave birth and had five children. So I think, you know, you don't always have to say the other bit first, do you? Well, do you know what? I've got into the habit because I decided that it was, I used to do that. I remember, funnily enough, a journalist asked me once and he just said, oh, have you got any brothers or sisters? And I paused and I thought, I don't want to embarrass him. It's socially awkward. I just said, no. And it took me a while to think that was a real insult to my sister because it was kind of denying her entire existence. Yes. And she has daughters. And I sort of thought, that's their mother. So I just say, yeah, I had a sister and she died. and It really was awful and I miss her. And... Oddly, you find, and I don't say that to my insurance broke from the phone, but people just open up to you in a way that you wouldn't expect, which I want to talk to you about because that's something I think you're always very good at in your interviews. But um, before we get onto your book and everything, I also want to know when you were growing up, I mean, you look, I look at you now and you've turned up with this incredible blonde hair looking stunning. And you're funny and articulate and you're oh, rushing dear. around doing all this stuff. Who are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, go on. Were you the sort of, if it had been an American high school, you know, would you be the one in the <laughs> Was college? I Sweet Valley High? Was I the <laughs> you look like one of the Sweet Valley High girls. Um, were you the girl that everyone, were you the golden girl? My gosh, it's so funny you should ask this in the sense of, quite literally on a physical level, no. Uh, because I was given photos yesterday by my old school from the archives. Uh, they wrote a thank you card because I went to, to talk to the girls there about the book. And inside this thank you card are some of the most hideous images that not even my family remember. I'm mousy-haired with a bushy fringe on the netball team. I mean, looking like I could take you out, like an absolute <laughs> bruiser. Spots, like... NHS glasses when they weren't cool and yeah. still didn't look good looking back. I mean... When they had a plaster on them. Yeah, physically, no. It, it, I didn't really, if you like, in any way blossom until quite a lot later. Uh, I don't really feel, if I'm honest, until a bit later anyway, I wasn't 
because I wore glasses from the age of four, I was quite self-conscious, and then I got yeah. contact lenses and I thought, I've arrived. Right. Maybe a boy will look at me now, you know. So I was quite, um, basically quite geeky looking for a long time, if I'm honest. And then within myself, though, uh, I did have good friendships. I do think only yeah. children make very decent, solid mates, because we don't have siblings. So you always have to bring a friend on a Sunday trip out. That's yeah. what I had to do. Um, and so I suppose they get to know your family well as well. Yeah, yes. because yeah. they're part of it. Really. Yeah. So, I, so I did have a good group of friends and I did really relish school in the end. I had a really, I did have a very positive experience at my school. You it's, were very academic, I get the impression, weren't well, you? Well, I was also very naughty. So I, I knew where the line was and I went right up to it all the time. So I was that girl who was late to school because I was snogging my boyfriend next to the tree. Um, <laughs> And then I would come in and work very hard for exams and do well. Yeah. So the teachers disciplined me, but also quite liked me. So I, I felt that doing well was important to me, but also so was having fun. Right. Um, and, you know, that informed quite a lot of decisions. And I left everything to the last minute and made it as stressful as possible for myself to Did you? do well at exams and do well in school. See, I can't imagine you like that. You seem... You strike me as a very organised... Oh, now I'm much better. But, I mean, only yesterday, before doing this speech to the school, I hadn't written it, and the girls saw me outside the corridor, in the same bloody corridor I used to swat up for the last five minutes. Um, no, I liked, I liked leaving everything so there was as much adrenaline as possible. Right. And I do think there's something weird about live broadcasters, and that's yeah. part of our thing, which is yeah. that we can stay calm <laughs> under some of the most unusual, <laughs> while someone is screaming in your ear, shit, the line's dropped, the guest isn't there, what the fuck are we going to do? And you're yeah. sat on television going, good evening. <laughs> I mean, that's not our normal psychology. Yeah, I wonder if there's... Because I know, I do a breakfast show with Frank Skinner, and I know that, especially working with comics, there's that added danger, but it's just that sense of... This could go anywhere. I wonder if there is an adrenaline. It's the foreign correspondent gene my dad used to call it. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. out in Afghanistan. But it's that thing of I like, I perform best when it's it slightly on the wrong. edge. Completely. You know, I'm not saying I don't do my prep, but yeah. I'm saying the context within which sometimes I put myself, the best stuff can come from me. Or maybe I've just fed myself that lie. <laughs> And only, the only stuff that can come from me is when I'm panicking. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, on paper, I probably looked a bit golden girly with, you know, straight A's and all that stuff. But as a person, yeah. I quite like to push the boundaries. And I hate rules. Do you? Hate them. Well, that's interesting, because that does feed into why you're so good at... Why you, you're not cowed in front of authority, I think it's definitely fair to say. <laughs> I think, there's a, yeah, I mean, I think being Northern, you've got that a bit inbuilt into your character. Do you think so? Yeah. Especially in Manchester, you know, it's sort of, come on, let's have a go. It's a Liam Gallagher that's, walk, Yeah, that's it? sort yeah. of, all right. But, you know, just because it's never been done before, why shouldn't it be done? Or yeah. just because you shouldn't ask that question, why shouldn't you? I'm not saying I'm a huge rebel here. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I'm not a fan of authority for authority's sake, not at all. And I also think... Um, Look at him, I'm going to pick him up. No, it's all right. He does this, he just stops. He's just like, oh, I don't really like walking, I like to sit he down. Want, he's doing what good people in parks do. He's thinking, why aren't we at the cafe yet? He is thinking that. <laughs> I'll just carry him now. Bye, <laughs> um, <Hi>, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think there's that 
yeah, there's a, I think being in, being from a, a city like Manchester, sometimes there's a good outsider element to it. Mm. And I think that's also fed a little sometimes by being a woman, and you might be the yeah. only woman in a situation. Yeah. And I also think, I'm not a particularly religious person, but being Jewish, being part of a minority, you also have that outsider element as well sometimes. So I think all of those things combined made me think yeah. at school that I like to, and continue to, I hope, in some ways push some boundaries. And were your family orthodox? Well, or they weren't practising? This is quite a boring thing to explain to is people. It? I always wanted to be Jewish, though, and I'm really upset that I wasn't. Well, I like the fact that you essentially get accused of it, <laughs> and I like the fact that people never believe I am. So it's good. We could just do a life swap. I have lied before. Oh, my gosh. I have as well to say I'm not. I've lied to say I am. <laughs> yeah, anyway. No, I, I, but, yeah, it's we, complicated to explain. It's complicated because my mother was a member of the Reform Synagogue, yeah. which is the more chilled out one. Yeah. Uh, let's try to bring some of the traditions up to date. And the Orthodox synagogue was also where she had grown up a bit. And my right. dad was a member of that. Got and it. they actually got married in both. They got ah. two uh, to ensure themselves on all levels. Yeah. Um, it's pretty Jewish to go and get two weddings. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I grew up in a bit, with a bit of both influencing. Yeah. And, but in terms of where we went for Rosh Hashanah, went the only real time we always went, it would be to an Orthodox synagogue. Yeah. But I wasn't Orthodox and I'm not. Yeah. But that's interesting how that informed, as you say, all oh, that stuff. Yeah. yeah, culturally I am. And, and I think there is something in Jewish culture, you know, again, I'm not a fan of stereotyping, but there is something about you sit around the table and you question and yeah. you debate and you talk and children are asked their opinions. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in other households, but it is very culturally part of what goes on because alcohol drinking isn't part of what goes on. Yeah. Food and conversation and debating goes on as as complete half of the course every Friday night. It's a family... First time I'm touching the dog. Oh you my spoke gosh. to him, Emma. How did you find it? Soft. It's, is it With softer than like, you thought? It's like a bit bony on his head, though. I know. It's quite cute. But I, don't, I don't want to take this further. <laughs> Emma, I never thought I'd hear that. I do need to really wash my hand now. I've got a baby wipe. Would you like one? No, no. Well, it may happen again, the stroke. So I'll just keep this hand in reserve. <laughs> Ray, it may happen again, the stroke. Ray's a dog, by the way. We should just say. I, I won't know, take that out of context. Cons- consent's important. <laughs> Not with a Shih Tzu, Emma. <laughs> shih Tzus have rights. God, and you're a dog owner. Me too. Me yeah. Shih Tzu. Um, <laughs> So, um, Wait, so we're going round on us. Oh, well, I'm going to go on this side of you, though. Okay. Um, so, you met, which again, I, I read about in your book, you yes. met your husband yes. when you were at university. I know. I'm telling you what happened in your life. I know, but it's still almost a shock, but it's but 14 uh, years today. Uh, it's not your anniversary. Since, since we went on our first date, yeah. And I'm spending it with you <laughs> and the dog. And the dog. In a really romantic park. It's great. He's at work. I'm with you. What's it? What are you going out tonight? Have you got any plans? I've got a book event. Oh yes, you have. But you know, we'll say hi when I get to him. I'm a cup of tea. I like that you're celebrating your anniversary by, <laughs> by writing your book about periods. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's the most feminist act. I'm really proud of you. Thanks. And did you feel? Because one of the things I loved about your book was that I felt. It was, I think it would be really, well, I found it 
useful and it was just clarified a lot of how I felt in terms of my attitude towards just being a woman and feminism and things I feel strongly about. And I, I wonder, was that something you always felt? I mean, I know your school was, had a very famous um, feminist icon. Yes, it was Evelyn Pankhurst sent her children there. Sylvia and you know Pankhurst. her great-great-granddaughter? Yeah, Helen, Dr. Helen Pankhurst, an amazing woman. Did you always feel, what did it mean to you being a feminist growing up? Were you aware of that? concept I mean or? Manchester High I mean the minute you walk that's the name of the school the minute you walk through the door you, you've not really got a choice it's sort of like waterboarding of feminism <laughs> um, but all it meant to me was equality right and that was really important and it also meant just not believing that boys could do things better I mean in talking back as a child that's mm. how I interpreted what it meant I think when I was younger, the word feminism wasn't used, if I'm honest, and was as this much as it is now. Mid-90s, this would yes. been, yeah. Um, obviously, Spice Girls, Spice Girls and... Girl Power, although I was very disappointed when researching the book to find that the Spice Girls had turned down the opportunity to endorse a sanitary towel brand, but obviously went for Walker's Crisps, because <laughs> that's girl power with a cheese and onion flavour. Um, so... There was obviously commercialised girl power going on around me, which, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be cynical about now because I wasn't about that about it then. I enjoyed it. You know, I was like really invigorated by things like mm. the Spice Girls as well as getting some of the serious suffragette history drummed into me. Yeah. And um, I think just by dint of personality rather than thinking there was a doctrine I needed to yeah. follow and never really accepting, you know, jokes on the school bus about girl smelling at that time of the month or whatever it was I, I used to just stand up for people and say what I thought yeah really didn't find that a problem at all but that's I, mean, I was nicknamed not... Emmeline and that wasn't a really? joke you know that was obviously based on uh, old Pankhurst I was hardly sacrificing my life and going on hunger strike but it was a, a nickname from some of the boys but you talk and I find that interesting about I suppose blossoming physically when you were older and I think sometimes that can be a real gift because I think what happens is you can, and you touch on this a little bit in your book or you quote people who do about, you can get trapped in that notion of your, your identity as a woman being very tied up with being attractive and being sort of set desirable, I suppose. Yes. So that means that you're less inclined, I guess, to call out bad behaviour or because it's not likeable. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said this, and I try and actually say this to, to younger women quite a lot if I get the chance or opportunity to talk to them. I developed a talent at being disliked. And <laughs> it's quite hard to develop, but I did do it. And working at a newspaper, my God, that helped. Um, really? It's a tough environment. Because that was your first job when you... My first job was actually digital. On, um, was on a magazine yeah. called right. Media Week yes. uh, as a business reporter. And then I moved to the Daily Telegraph. But... My point being is when a woman goes for something, there's this thing called the dominance penalty. And if we really want something or if we say something, we're difficult, we're shitty, we're bitchy, we're annoying. If a man goes for it, gets promoted or congratulated a lot of the time. So yeah. I just sort of, I think, again, maybe the whole thing as well being an only child, you just think, well, I don't need you to like me. Yes, yeah. I don't need you. Yeah. And, and you don't mind being on your own in a situation. That's interesting. So... Because you're more self-sufficient, perhaps. So, oh, look exactly. At, look at that. That'd be a nice date for Ray. That pigeon. He looks similarly happy to. Just if I ever it. wanted to change away from live daily broadcasting, 
and had thought about nature as a career, this walk is confirming I wouldn't enjoy it. Do you not like nature? No, no, I love walking and nature, oh. but the way you just stop to look at that fat <laughs> pigeon that looks like it's on its last, I don't... I'd be more interested in painting this because this looks don't like Don't you think this looks beautiful? This though. is beautiful. We should describe it. We're standing at a I'm going to take a picture of you because you look... A bit like a sort of Botticelli or something, I feel. I'm not sure. I got compared to a milkmaid recently. <laughs> a Thomas Hardy milkmaid, which I wasn't sure about either. Oh, you look lovely. I'm going to make you have Ray the, in the picture. I think the scene is lovely, not necessarily me. Hi, Ray. <laughs> you're trying so hard. I think your career probably doesn't seem like it to you. It feels like, God, this has taken forever. Yeah, but I've been there every day. It's, to me, it seems like, oh, my God, this, this was like in a three-year period... Ray. I felt I'd come on Ray. I'm going to pick him up. I felt like I was just so super aware of you. Suddenly, in terms of I do apologise. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but you were on. I think I first became conscious of you when you were on LBC. Right, on a Sunday night. Yeah, mm. and you were doing sort of quite late shifts on yes. that. And then it was just like, oh, okay, she's on. Five live, um, and it just seems it was news night most recently. That was this year. You became a regular yes. co-presenter, but what do they call it? Team, I suppose. Yeah, um, well, there's three of us on the the stable. The I team. call it. Yeah. Yep. Um, the damn fine fillets. <laughs> no, <laughs> not because you're limitless. <laughs> I mean that in a boxing way. <laughs> but um, but it feels like you were just absolutely born to do this job, Emma. To me. I mean, I think, isn't that weird though? Isn't that always the way when things come along and it sort of just works? People go, oh, you were meant to do this. But actually, I did study politics at university, but for the first... Is it Nottingham, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. first seven years of my career, I never touched the stuff. Yeah. I was writing about technology, I was writing about media, I was writing about, uh, lastly, to do with women and, and feminist issues when I did the women's section at the Telegraph. And obviously that intersected with politics, yeah. especially when I started doing shifts on Women's Hour... Yes. But it wasn't like the hardcore Westminster stuff. And then that just became part of my daily life the minute I joined Five Live Daytime. And I think precisely because I'm not a Westminster correspondent, because I'm not a lobby correspondent, as we call those journalists with the parliamentary passes, um, I ask questions that I hope are being shouted at the radio at home. I'm, I'm asking a question I hope that a listener wants to be answered mm. and I won't move on until I think we've got a comprehension of the answer. I know you won't. But, but, but not <laughs> in a sort of performative way because it really doesn't happen in, in most of the interviews. It just, I mean, the ones that people remember, they remember because then it maybe goes viral because of how many times they've tried like to... the Jeremy Corbyn interview and there was... But it was interesting, when you interviewed Theresa May... Which was a real coup to get her. That one was, yeah. I, mean, I did a, a since where we did like a phone-in, but the first time I did it was a coup because it was the first one after her general election. Which was did not go well. Yes. And she'd lost her majority. And it's one thing that really struck me when I saw that. It was a radio interview, but obviously I saw it on YouTube. But it was... I think it was what, probably the best interview I've seen with her because there was a humanity to her that I hadn't encounter I had never seen her and you know she admitted she said I cried didn't she yeah I mean um, she didn't want to admit that that was quite an amazing moment in the sense of a human moment because you're sitting in the prime minister's office 
which by the way has this fantastic gold-plated sign on the table that says Prime Minister, just in case she forgets. Like and at times film. she may have forgotten because it was so difficult like to win a majority <laughs> on anything. But um, I did make that joke to her, she didn't laugh. Did she not? No. I was like, do you need that? Um, anyway, the, the, the thing with her had been, she was constantly being interviewed by those Westminster journalists Right. In that run-up. She'd, she'd done other sit-downs before. Yeah. But, but they, I'd just seen the last one she'd done had been with, I think it was someone from Channel 4 News. Yeah. And they were asking the right questions fully, but they were just... And they weren't given the context. I was allowed to sit with her for 20 minutes or so. But they did just go, Prime Minister, how do you feel to have lost the election? Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> if someone asked me that question in that way, yeah. as the first question, admittedly, they, they only had a few minutes with her... I don't think I would answer it in a way that could give any insight on a human level. Yeah. So I just tried to actually think about the way into the interview and, and that admission, which she actually didn't want to give because she said I was very upset or whatever and I said upset enough to cry. Yeah. And you could have heard a pin drop in her oh. office. And she looked at me and it was kind of this moment where she thought, and I knew it as a woman especially, where she thought, if I say yes, I'm going to look weak. Yeah, yeah. But if I don't say how I actually was, and if I was upset yeah. enough to cry, I think the fact I've even left this pause where Emma's even having these thoughts and I'm yeah. having these thoughts, it's obvious I probably did. So her answer was this kind of perfectly cringy but brilliant complex response where she went, yes, one tear, a tear, I think she yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. Because then it was at least she said, I did cry, but not that much. Yeah. And so, you know, everything was bound up in that. And it was, in, it was in the first four minutes. There were real highlights to the rest of the interview, but no one will ever remember them because that's the bit that travelled. Like the bit where I asked her, are you a feminist? And then followed up with, well, how can you be in bed with the DUP yeah. party who advocate anything but feminism when it comes to bodily rights like abortion? Mm. So, you know, there are other parts of that interview that were much more robust. But that opening bit, I do think someone who's just called a gamble of their lifetime and it's failed, you have to hear how they're feeling. You showed something of her which was vulnerability and that, to me, to show a Prime Minister as a vulnerable figure is quite an achievement. Well, I, I mean, also she was in some ways ready to... Because the first speech she'd given, she hadn't, after the election, she hadn't sounded like she'd got the result. Mm. She stood there and everyone was like, does, does she know she's lost? And it's a bit awkward. I mean, yes, they're still the largest party, but they haven't got the majority. Yeah. Um, so I think she sort of knew she had to do something. But yes, we went further than perhaps she or I expected. Did you, um, do you get nervous, Emma, when you're, you know, I see you, they always say, watch this, Emma Barnett skewering. I know, the language is quite muscular, isn't it? I mean, I don't write those headlines. <laughs> of course you don't. Know. The other one the other day was, if you see, watch this Emma Barnett eviscerate. <laughs> eviscerate. I mean, I sound like I'm going around and really harming well, and disemboweling some individuals. often as well. It's just you attempting to get them to answer a very straightforward question. Yeah. Which they're used to, but do... Maybe do we you should, get... We should, yeah, shall we? Let's go that way. Yeah. Do, you, do you get nervous, Emma? Do you get scared? Do you think... I don't want to ask this question, they like me and I'm getting on all right with them, or do you not have that need to be liked? Uh, I don't care about politicians liking me, no. Not at all. Um, but I'm not going into it thinking, I want you not to like me. 
Right. Or I want you to dis- dislike me. I want you to hate the six foot. I don't want them to dislike me. I don't want them to like me. Mm. I want them to answer the question. Right. I see it as a transaction, trans- an information transaction. Yeah. You are paid by us. Yeah. What are you doing? That's, that's the aim, always. And, of course, I'll think about what, ha- what, what do we need to know that they're not going to tell us and how can I find it out? Yeah. Um, and, yes, I want things to go well. I mean, there are days where the agenda is very important and very big and you don't want to not ask the right questions. So, of course, yeah. you, you plan and you have apprehension in the sense of, will I be able to ask it in the right way in the amount of time I've been given you know there, mm. there's a lot of choreography if you like going on all the time around you and that is stressful I'm not going to pretend oh, I'm really relaxed all the time yeah um, because I do but you do but you do very much see it as you know that's something that I know women have to fight a lot and I don't think that's because we're born wanting to be like necessarily but that's that is a sort of script that we're fed I suppose from a young age where girls are told you're beautiful and boys are told you're smart mm-hmm. I think you get fed this script of your job is to look good and be passive and be liked and boys are told you need to be you go out and achieve although I wonder if it is starting to change because I, I now have a little so. boy but it may not the way equality may be coming along the tracks might not be perfect either in the sense of boys now look a lot more at Instagram and see True. hench figures I was only reading the other day about a boy who sadly took his own life and he was always mm. saying how weedy he was yeah and there were these love island yeah. muscular Zeus yes figures. you're right actually that's and I, true I, I'm not saying that the message is totally transferred that boys are yeah it's an unfortunate equality exactly it's, it's a weird yeah. equaling out in this messed um, up society you mentioned you had you mentioned a little boy yeah and that brings us on to your but because obviously it's about periods. It is. <laughs> you can't avoid that it's about periods. No, no, and no, I'm no, glad I don't, that I don't you, wish to avoid it. Well, I'm glad that you called it that. Um, but you, you talk when you're writing it, it during the book. You mentioned that you know you're you're pregnant at the time of writing it, and you say, "Well, sorry, um, I'm actually not having my period." While yeah, I'm, I'm having a really good break from it. <laughs> and then you, and then I have the baby while writing it, and I have a attempt at a breastfeeding career yeah and so i also don't menstruate during that time as well so it was it was a it was the ironically the longest amount of time since starting my period i hadn't had one but there we go did that slightly inspire you to write the book do you think the gap no just the when you conceived and when finally because you are very honest about that it, it was a journey and a struggle oh, to get there because you'd struggled horrendous. with your periods all your life hadn't you yes and I eventually, while trying to get pregnant and failing to get pregnant after two and a half years, I got diagnosed with endometriosis, a very painful period condition which has impact on fertility. So we ended up having IVF and that's when I always say, you know, my luck came in because it is luck and we were able to conceive. And I had really started to accept that, you know, I'd written in my diary, I only write a diary when I'm miserable. God, it was a full diary for two and a half years. And... um, you know, because lots of people, just going back to your point about women and success, lots of people had said to me, oh, you don't want babies yet because you're doing so well in your career. And I thought, fuck you. All I am doing is trying to get fucking pregnant and you've got three kids, just fuck off. Yeah. And actually someone who had said that to me emailed me once they had heard about 
Really? The reality and said, I am so sorry I assumed you were too ambitious for children. That's credit, the next one, too ambitious for children. Credit to her for apologising. Yeah. So anyone listening, by the way, if you think women who are doing well and don't have children didn't want them, I'm not saying all of them do, or all of them did, but I bet your bottom dollar are quite a few of them just couldn't get pregnant. Yeah, you, and do, I found you just that. don't know people's stories, do you? No, you have to be so careful. Yeah. I had basically been fobbed off by doctors for years, for 20 years, hmm. um, having seen them, you know, and, and they just told me I had bad pain and to go and take some paracetamol yeah um and i felt really embarrassed because my job was to try and get answers out of people for a living and i had not been diagnosed with something and i do think our relationship is a slightly separate point but yeah. with the nhs lets us down at times because we're so grateful to it yeah and we're so happy to be seen and we treat doctors like gods which most of the time they really are that we don't ever question them or push them yeah in the way that we might in other relationships in our lives. And certainly if you had private healthcare, which I didn't, I, I think you almost demand answers in a way that you don't with the NHS sometimes, but that's a slightly separate point. It still didn't detract from the fact- Although it's separate, but I do think also, you make this point as well in your book, which if I haven't said I absolutely love, by the way. Thank but you very much. It's you, really weird that people have started reading No, I, re- I know, does you it must feel have odd? Felt that. When you I put just yours thought, out in the world. Yeah, I just felt really odd. I thought, oh, it felt... That's so kind of you to read yeah, this like, weird... actually read it? It's like they've read my diary or something. It is. But, um... Well, yours very much. Though. Yeah, I know, mine's... But, but I did feel that... I do feel, and again, this is something I got from your book, that it's something that women are less inclined... I think women are less inclined to raise issues to do with menstruating and periods because they think oh well this is just this cross I have to bear and I'm born with it and it's meant to be awful and I have to hide it and never talk about it and as you point out which is a stat I've never even considered it's 25% of your life essentially which is terrifying that you go around in agony or in my case I used to always think oh I mean I'm less but I've always had such heavy periods have you every two hours I would have to change a tampax so I would think, I can't, oh God, that film's two hours, 20 minutes. I'm going to have, it's awful. Well, I mean, there was a guy I interviewed who simulated having a period for yes. a week. A guy called Edgar, he's like a comedian in America, who did it for BuzzFeed. Yeah. And they created a pack of beet juice that dripped down his buttock into his pants. And the bloke kept leaking. And he kept forgetting to have his pad changed. Yeah. Changed. And he was like, you know, I didn't even have the hormones or the pain. <laughs> and he said, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hack it. And I'm not saying blokes couldn't hack it, but there is a real ritual and faff that you get used to from a really young age that, doesn't, that is silently dealt with and not acknowledged in any way by even the person going through it. I got the impression what you wanted to do was sort of take the shame out of it. Well, I was trying to think, what's the opposite of shame? And oh, to yeah. me, it's pride. Yeah. Because pride is also infectious. Shame's horribly infectious yeah. and it buries deep inside you but so does pride because I went on um, a pride march a while ago and I was thinking how joyous is this yeah and I'm not saying I need like us all dressed up as tampons marching through the park with Raymond <laughs> but although I would love that <laughs> would Frank like it <laughs> I think Frank Skinner dressed as a tampon would be quite a sight anyway well Frank does a good thing with periods which I think is a 
is sort of taking the piss out of the male reaction. Right. Which is, you know, you say a very good thing in your book about you're sort of urging women to stop using those coy makeup bags to yeah. put it loose. Just put your tampon behind your ear, mate. I love it. Some women call it, you know, the walk from their desk to the toilet, the red mile. <laughs> All right, mate. Um, <laughs> so I feel like, you know, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but there's that amazing Gloria Steinem essay from 40 yeah. years ago. I mean, it's a cliche to say, what if men had this? Because yeah. it won't ever happen. But she did write this hilarious essay if men yeah. had periods. And she's right. They would be standing on the corner of streets going, I'm a three pad kind of guy. <laughs> you know how much pain and blood I've had this week? <laughs> you know, they wouldn't bother with a dainty sequined bag to go to the toilet or whatever you take. They would, you know, and, and also tampons and sunny pads would be free. Yeah. When men designed the world of work, they would have mandated not just for loo paper and soap, they wouldn't be paying a quid out of a dirty slot machine yeah. for a thick surfboard nappy. It would be different. Well, also, so we're we just like, near a bus. Yeah, which is why if you can hear the sound, it doesn't sound very pastoral dog walk. Yeah, but we're walking up. Um, Raymond's made it clear that he's he not doesn't up want to for walk. walking anyway. He doesn't like the so heat. He's going to come to the BBC. He's going to come to... He's <laughs> he loves it in the BBC. He gets so much attention there, Emma. Because, you know, when you bring a dog into work, it's very powerful. Is it? I wouldn't know. That's an interesting thing as well. And the history. There's a lot of history of that period. Like, I remember saying to my history teacher, I was genuinely interested. Yes. I said, what did they do in medieval times? And I remember everyone sniggered. And Good she, question, though. But I was, I was only about 12 or something. And she, I always remember she went appropriately red. Yes. And obviously thought I was trying to be cute and, and mischievous. And I honestly wasn't. Actually, I'm going to have some water. And she just said, well, I don't know. I suspect they probably shoved a rag up there or something. I mean, it's not relevant. And I thought, actually, I don't think I'd ever really thought about that again until I read your book. Well, and the historian, Greg Jenner, mm. bless him, has done a bit of work on this. Mm. And of horrible history's fame and um it's quite a horrible history this one because <laughs> you know poor women working in the fields would just bleed into straw yeah and it wasn't really until the edwardian times that most women just weren't bleeding down their own legs or as your teacher put it finding something to put there and you know in that respect women must have had no idea what was going on yeah and do you think sometimes you and I think, they I think they men were dying or Yes, something. and I think yeah. men would have been quite rightly appalled as well. Yeah. Because blood is terrifying. And in the medieval, medieval ages, yes, and, and all sorts of other times, you know, you're taught to fear it. I mean, the other thing to say, which someone did point out to me, is women wouldn't have had the same level of regularity to their menstrual cycles probably because of diet yeah. and all sorts of differences but put that to one side you know it was only when some very thrifty clever first world war nurses when using bandages to absorb blood of the men coming back from the front yeah. then thought I'll use them down there that we start getting in business yes I was absolutely fascinated to read that I, I want to ask you as well did the process of writing how did you find that? Because it's your first book, isn't it? And how did you find that compared 
with, I suppose, the slightly more adrenaline-based yeah. environment you find us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But did you find it too slow, or did, did you think, right... I wrote quite quickly. I, 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 the thing that took the time was interviewing the women. Yeah. And actually interviewing the women I really liked, because that's exactly what I do most of the time. I, yeah. I love talking to people, and I love hearing their stories. Um, I didn't love the writing of it, no. I, it's hard, I, isn't I found it, it lonely. And, and Some, someone said, to Jane Goldman, who's my childhood best friend, she's a screenwriter, yes. and she's very successful, and she, I remember I rang her, Emma, and I said, I don't like doing this, it's so hard. And she said, Em, no one likes writing, everyone likes having written. And that was a very important Bravo. thing to remember. And then... Yeah, this bit, walking around a park with you, <laughs> that's fun. Well, this is why I do this, because I get to basically say, who do I really like and want to be friends with? I know, that Emma Barnett. Oh, right, I, so this is like a date? Yeah. This is it's like, I've got you here by stealth. Oh, yeah. inter- you think, where's that interview? It didn't come out. I was meant to be promoting my book. That fake Jew that I met in London. <laughs> Can I use that as my Twitter bio? Because David Vadil has a Jew. I want fake Jew. <laughs> um, you could be my official fake Jew. Can I be the fake Jew? So, um, can I ask you something as well? You People often... I saw a TED Talk of yours, which yes. I really loved. Right, good. And it was a few years back, and probably when the idea... Pre the book, obviously, but the idea must have been brewing. But you say, why women need to be like snails, essentially. Yes, It's I about do. evolving, wasn't it? And... And having your antennae out for different forms of sexism that men and women have got better at hiding. Which I love that because you you talked in it. Go down here, the reason actually. I raise it is that you talked about ambition and it was something said often of you. And when I was reading through the cuts on you, I really noticed that. Fiercely ambitious. Yeah. Well, what does fierce mean? I'm eviscerating people. <laughs> I'm destroying them. I'm fiercely there. Fierce is frightening and aggressive. And aggressive and language, aren't? Isn't they used about me? Um, but, but that's an interesting thing. Do you, how do you respond to people referring to you as ambitious? Mm-hmm. Correct. It depends. Listen, it can be used in a compliment as right. a compliment, and it can be used as an insult. And we're not good at dealing with ambition generally in this country, never yeah. mind with where it intersects with women. It's always worse when it intersects with women, always. Yeah. But, you know, I just gave you an example before of somebody thinking I was too ambitious um, ambitious to reproduce. Yeah. I mean, surely that's the ultimate ambition in yeah. some ways. <laughs> not for everyone, but, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing your body might be able to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's an amazing thing to give life. But I... Um, I think generally, like, I worked quite a bit in San Francisco when I used to cover technology. Yeah. And that was obviously a place where innovation was happening all the time. Yeah. But failure was happening all the time. And success and failure were embraced right. as opposite sides of the same coin all the time. And saying you wanted something wasn't shameful. But saying you want something in England, yeah. in Britain, is, is you know, like you've it's just done a massive fart. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I can see that the other thing is which is why yes. I think people don't also that having kids thing in a way I think there's a coyness about that of sort of yeah. like, oh we'll see what happens because no one wants to say well we're trying and it's not working no and I totally fell into that myself did you yeah because it really wasn't working I actually didn't know what to say if I'm honest because I was so close to tears about it 
and you know, I'd be in woman's hour. It would always be yeah. at woman's hour. I'd start my period, having just done a discussion with someone who had loads of kids. Yeah. You just want to put your fist through the studio wall. Yeah. Um, and was your partner? Luckily, you'd been. It sounds like you have a good relationship. So it does sound like that. Yeah. No, no, we do. <laughs> um, we do. We really do. And he was brilliant during this process. Is he quite like you? Is he? When I say like you, like. Hi, children. Hello, children. <laughs> just talking about. Yeah. Xian. Do you see what happened with Ray and the dog? Did they say Xian? Yeah. They're French for you. They loved. Well, in this uh, in this smart area of town, they're probably British. Oh, let's speak French today, darling. (laughs) Do you think when you bring up, you've got a little boy, haven't you? Yes. And do you share the childcare with your? I mean, obviously you have to have help. Yeah, we have we have help. Yeah. We have good parents. Do you? Yeah. Very involved. Yeah. Love going for coffee and cake at all times. And uh, we have each other, and we are, yeah, we both work, and we're, we're, we, you know, we're like shift workers together yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, now my husband's uh, was was didn't lose faith during the fertility. Really? I don't know how he didn't, especially as I kept saying it's never going to happen, and I'm not still quite sure how he didn't. But I do think, weirdly, because it is the woman getting the period each month. Yeah. Getting the email from your body. I like that. Um, it's just not happened again. You you get that moment on your own in a toilet somewhere. Yeah. That's truly crushing. Um, and I'm not saying it wasn't hard for him. It really was. And I remember mm. very clearly we went to a friend's child's first birthday, and everyone mm. at the party was pregnant. It seemed. And I've never been in more of a a funk, if I'm honest, because I, I don't like. I didn't like myself during the period. I recently did a show with. A lot of women, a live program, uh, most of whom had were still having IVF and it wasn't successful yet. Yeah. And I did that deliberately because we always hear about it when it's been successful. Yeah. There's lots of people where it isn't yeah. endlessly. And I did say at the beginning of the program, which I think you can only say if you've been through <laughs> it. Here's my producer Claire. She had three children naturally. Don't you just hate people who can have sex and make babies? And it works. And they all went, yes. And I was like, yes. That's the bit, the boys bit of us. Personality all in unison. That's schadenfreude that oh, lies within oh, us all. It's so... Oh, look, here's some more children. Look, Ray's going to go down very well with them. Look, Emma. I'm going to have to make a call to these people. Yeah, make the they call. are going to think I'm not coming. Why? No, let's go now. Aren't we near We're them? late. How late are we? Two minutes. No, let's get... They're quite militant. Which salon is it? It's just the blow-dry bar. Where is it, though? Is it there? No, I'm... Look, we're, look why are we so late? I think what Hello? we should... Hello. Hello. I've got an appointment now. My name's Emma. Five minutes. Um, and I'm literally just two minutes away, so I just wanted to tell you I'd got stuck. It's my fault. All right. Bye. No, they're all right. You dealt with that very charmingly. We'll see. It's fine. We'll see. <laughs> so tell me... Are you... Do you get emotional? Like everyone gets emotional, but would you say you're quite? You know, do you cry? Are you a crier? I'm, do, I'm asking you the Theresa May question now. Um, what makes you cry? Yeah, I mean, I cried at a really cheesy film last night. Did you? What was it? Ali Wong's done a film on Netflix. Oh yeah. Like something like Maybe Baby or something. But I yeah. love Ali Wong. Have you watched her comedy? Yeah, set? I know. Yeah, I know exactly. So anything with her, I'm watching. So I had a bit of a thing at the end of that, knowing it was so cheesy, <laughs> but I had to. Um, yeah, no, I do, I do get emotional. Do you I, um, work? Because there's a lot of 
stuff around that, isn't there? Well, Some... I mean, when the Manchester Arena bomb oh, yeah. happened and we went to Manchester, went back, to, and for me to sit there oh. as well, that was the place that always, I saw the Spice Girls, I saw Lauren Hill. Yeah. I, I'm not making it about me, I just meant I had a, a real history yeah, in that particular yeah. building. And my first gig was when I was 11. Yeah. And you just sit there and you, you feel like so helpless yeah. talking to the bereaved and talking to people who were there and the emergency services. I mean, I did go off and have a big, a big cry afterwards. Did you? I didn't cry on air. Yeah. I still, I don't believe I've cried on air yet. Um, I mean, I've got, Brexit's I've, not over yet. I felt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cry any minute now during this traumatic dog experience. Um, it's not. Look, can you stroke him again? You've had to carry this dog. Yeah, but he's so light. You Emma. need a dog carrier. Will you just stroke his head? How did you find that? Bony. Yeah, but it's so soft, Emma. Your dog is particularly glamorous. Do you know? I think we're getting there with you. Uh, I think we're further along than both of us thought we would be. <laughs> you see, I think what you are, you're an adjust the sales person. I'm a Rather, you know, you get optimist, pessimist, and then people that adjust the sales. Yes. I think you adjust the sales. <laughs> Is that fair? Yeah, I'll take that. People often say the no nonsense, like you do an agony column, which I love in the Sunday Times. Tough love, yeah? Oh, tough love's great. But also it's interesting because you talk about yourself personally and I think there's an empathy, which is why I think as an interviewer, when you're in a political arena, I think empathy is quite a killer skill. It's quite a killer quality to have, to be able to draw on it, I think. Because it's not expected, you know, people... Politicians are are, are human beings. It's not that I don't see them as such, but what you've just made me think, and I've not actually thought about it like this before, is is it's the only interviews I do, because I do many other types of interviews, yeah. It's the only interviews I do where my empathy isn't with the subject of the interview. It's always with the people who are affected by what they decide. So Got my it. empathy isn't with you as the minister. Whereas, so it's displaced empathy. Yeah. That's, so, that's a very intelligent thought you've just helped me have. Yeah. Well, like, no, but it's true because so you're coming at it. Yeah, from the from the point of view of the person, as the you teacher, say, affected by the decision. That doesn't yeah. have the funding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're there. Let me say, hi, it's Emma. I'll, I'm here. I'm Can sorry. I just say, it's my, it's this dog's fault that she's late. Oh, is this what happens? The dog gets you out of stuff. the dog gets me out of a lot of things. Because the pe- dog would have walked, so we had to carry the dog. I had to carry the dog. I'm really sorry. See, the dog gets you out. Of <laughs> Emma's arrived at her hairdressers now, and I really love it. I'm going to start pumping here. I'm stealing her life. I want her hair. It looks like that. Emma, give me a hug, please. I'm just going back in. Oh, will you give Ray another stroke? I'm not kissing him. No, you don't have to. Ray, it's been real. He doesn't kiss on the first day anyway. It's been real, mate. Is he better than you I, thought? You are, you are a princess of the dog. And for that, I respect the dog. Oh, sorry. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.